On Campus is supported by a grant from the Solutions Journalism Network, a nonprofit organization dedicated to rigorous and compelling reporting about responses to social problems. Solutionsjournalism.org. Kambalani Academy's first class of eighth graders is graduating today. Friends and family members sit in fold-up chairs underneath a giant white tent next to the school, pointing their cell phones toward the building's wraparound staircase for a photo of the graduates. The students are draped in yellow sashes. Some wear hakules, a traditional Hawaiian flower crown, walking proudly down the steps as a Kamalani community member performs a traditional Hawaiian oli, or chant. This big graduation ceremony is a way for Kamalani to proudly proclaim that despite teacher and student turnover, despite stumbles in the last year, their keiki, their kids, are ready for the next step. We're going to be formal. Mr. Velarde, would like to say a few words. Kamalani principal Jeff Velarde takes the stage to thank the community. This was a what many would call a gamble or a risk that many of you took to uproot your child and bring them to Kamalani in our first year. And we recognize that you had choices and that you had a choice. And sticking with us throughout this entire year means the world to us. And hopefully as trailblazers can pave the way for a, a brighter future. He wants parents and spectators to clap for all the eighth grade teachers. But that also means acknowledging there's a lot of teachers who have left. I also want to thank and, and recognize, even if they're not present, Kumu Jackson, Kumu Kamp, and Kumu Berger, who did participate in the, the different stages of our school year. What wasn't clear on graduation night was that Jeff would also be joining the list of departing staff. When did he resign? Uh, this morning. This is On Campus, a special project from Honolulu Civil Beat. I'm Jessica Terrell. In the 2017-18 school year, reporters from Civil Beat spent time behind the scenes at a brand new charter school startup called Kamalani Academy. We wanted to follow along with the everyday triumphs and trials of a community trying to pull off a big education initiative. There is no clear blueprint for how to start a school. Nobody expected it to be easy. But there ended up being a lot of unexpected challenges with both school operations and the reporting process that no one anticipated. Could we both felt, and, and I'm afraid I have to agree, that we, we have to discontinue the podcast. This is episode 10, our last episode of the series. At the end of the school year, there's a lot that Kamalani founder Kuipo Lamatia is proud of. I think we ended the year with, um, you know, the kids being joyful. But I guess the most telling is graduation night. And the parents were really happy and satisfied and the, their kids graduated. And, you know, the teachers who were there were really um, proud, you know, and really felt like they accomplished quite a bit with the kids. So I thought it was an awesome night. Kuipo says she's seen tremendous growth from where they started. 
The school recently joined the prestigious Kennedy Center's Partners in Education, a program that provides support and teacher training for school arts programs. A handful of Kamalani teachers and administrators, including Principal Jeff Velarde, also traveled to Washington, D.C. in June for the Kennedy Center's annual arts integration conference. And they're planning to expand to high school grades in the near future. But not everything turned out the way school founders imagined. Kamalani won't be bringing back its pre-K program, which ended earlier this year. And Kuipo says the school lost some of the community support they'd had at the beginning of the year. I think maybe we just did things a little bit backwards last year. Maybe their priority was academics first or the content first, you know, not so much about the relationships. And so in a community like Wahiwa, where everything is about relationships, to have, you know, um, kind of that relationship, you know, put to the side or or just say not now, you know, later, um, I think that's where the hurt feelings come. Eight full-time staff members left the school, with at least two more resignations after the last day of classes, which seems like a potentially tough pill to swallow for school founders who initially said they would measure success by the happiness of everyone on campus. My measuring stick is easy. You know, is the child happy? Did the child learn and grow? Did they find joy in coming to school right every day? Were the teachers fulfilled? Were they happier? Were they stressed and overworked and overburdened, right? I want this to be a place of joy for them as well. As Kamalani gets ready for their second school year, Kuipo and the governing board are now tasked with figuring out what went wrong for the teachers who left and what the board can do about it for the next year. They've struggled this year to identify exactly what the board is supposed to be doing. But the stakes are high for figuring it out, not just for how Kuipo measures success, but also for how the state will measure if Kamalani should keep operating year after year. The first teacher left Kamalani in September. By winter break, at least five teachers had departed. We started asking Kamalani's principal, Jeff Velarde, and Kamalani teachers tough questions about why teachers were leaving the questions weren't well-received. Jeff sent an email to Kamalani teachers on January 29th asking teachers not to speak with us for this podcast about the school's teacher turnover. After that, no one at Kamalani would speak to us frankly about what was happening at the school. Meanwhile, teachers kept leaving. Then, at the end of the year, things seemed to explode. So in late June, I got a text forwarded to me by a former Kamalani staff member. That's Emily Dugdale, one of the reporters for On Campus. The original text was sent by a Kamalani teacher to a bunch of former staff members, asking for write-ups of anything wrong with admin, a.k.a. principal, any improprieties, even as little as no support. The text said teachers were meeting with a teacher's union representative and third party, and notifying the school's governing board. And it also said, this is to help Kamalani students, school, and staff. We need a change, and you can be of help. I reached out to Jeff several times, but he declined to talk to us for this episode, 
or comment on the teacher complaints. So then a few days after getting a copy of the teacher's text message, I got an email from Mike Terman, who is a Kamalani parent and former member of the governing board. Mike's wife is also the school's office administrator. When I called him, Mike said he knew of multiple complaints filed against Jeff and the school by Kamalani teachers. And he said the governing board had known about and potentially ignored problems for months. I don't want to see the school fail. I believe in the school. That's why I touted it. I just think that the hiring process went to skew um, and we got the wrong person in there. I talked to multiple teachers after Mike called, but you're not going to hear a lot of voices here because none of them would talk to me on the record. Teachers who are still at Kamalani say they are worried about retaliation, while teachers who left worry that talking to us could impact their job search. All the teachers I talked to said they believed in the Kamalani vision of an arts-integrated, Hawaiian-oriented charter school. But many painted a picture of an environment of increasing frustration with their principal over the course of the year. The biggest concern from teachers was that they didn't feel supported by the Kamalani administration. They'd need to make multiple requests for help with difficult students, getting classrooms cleaned, or school dismissal. And their small staff didn't feel like the ohana, or family, that was promised to them. Others were concerned about Jeff's frequent absences from the school. Several felt uncomfortable with Jeff speaking about his personal life to them. Teachers acknowledged that a lot of the first-year chaos at Kamalani could be attributed to the growing pains that come with opening a new school. But they said that only goes so far. I verified one teacher's union, or HSTA, grievance filed against Kamalani this year by a teacher who was fired. But another former teacher said that by the second half of the year, there were enough informal complaints to the school's union representative that they were at a tipping point. But it's also clear that there were divisions on the staff. Not everyone had issues with the principal, and they disagreed with the concerted effort at the end of the year to get him removed. When did he resign? Uh, this morning. Can you kind of say how that happened? All I can say is that he resigned for voluntarily for his own reasons and that uh, we appreciate everything that he did for Kamalani in his first year and we wish him the best. Just a few weeks after Kamalani's 8th grade graduation ceremony, Principal Jeff Velarde turned in his resignation. The news broke in an email to the Kamalani community from the governing board. Amanda Langston, the school's student services coordinator, has stepped into the role as interim principal. It's going to be a challenge, but opening our first year was a challenge. Opening our second year, the challenges are not over. But we're very confident that we will go into year number two in good shape. We spoke with Steve Davidson, the vice chair of the governing board, about what might have led up to Jeff's resignation. What were the nature of the complaints presented to the board? Did Jeff leave of his own volition? Had the board been concerned about anything during his tenure? But Steve didn't say much. You know, I've talked to a lot of teachers this week 
Um, you know, and it really seems like there was a lot of frustration with Jeff and the administration. You know, I'm just being very honest. And I just got to ask, you know, what do you, what, what, what can you tell us? Like, what can you say here? Well, that's, that's a good question and a fair question. Uh, let me do this. Let me uh, consult with okay. our board and perhaps it's a deputy attorney general. Steve got back to us the next day. They decided they couldn't comment, said personnel matters were confidential. Jeff also wasn't answering our calls, so we don't have a clear answer from Kamalani on what happened and what Jeff knew about the complaints before he resigned. Kuipo confirmed to us later that Kamalani teachers did talk to the governing board about personnel issues in a closed session on June 28th. A closed session is part of a governing board meeting that's confidential. The board isn't required to publish notes from these sessions. I can't really talk about that because, you know, those are there's things we discussed in a closed session that we're not allowed to repeat. But um, I don't think I was taken aback at all. I don't think I was surprised. You know, there's been enough, you know, people always have complaints and, you know, things, whereas other other teachers really had glowing things to say. Charter school governing boards are actually exempt from a pretty important public meetings law in Hawaii called the Sunshine Act. It gives the board authority to hold these closed meetings and not make meeting notes public. Charter schools in Hawaii in the past have been accused of using this exemption to bury controversial issues at schools. So when a principal leaves a school, whether it's for personal reasons or disagreements with staff or even for something more serious, the problems may never come to light. These decisions are made behind closed doors, and little information is shared with the public about the substance of any complaints against school administration. We need to talk about how charter schools are run for a minute. Kuipo and her friend Steve Davidson, the chair and vice chair of the governing board, spent years working on getting Kamalani Academy open, coming up with a vision writing the application, rewriting the application, finding a company to help them navigate contracts and building codes. They made a lot of decisions to get that first student enrolled, and the doors officially opened. And then they hired a principal and handed over day-to-day management of the school to him. It just was like sort of having a baby and, you know, sending it off to kindergarten. That's Steve. You'd like to say that, you, you know, you're ready to let go, uh, but it's it emotionally and operationally, it's not that easy when you don't have good systems in place to be able to do that, when you don't have clear roles and responsibilities. But letting go isn't easy, especially when there's no textbook, no guidance for how to transition from being a founding school board to a governing board of an operating charter school when there's no system in place for how to evaluate the principal. And in hindsight, this quickly became a problem. So an issue comes up and a board member says, did you see what happened to school the other day? You know, I mean, what are we going to do about that? And another board member says, we're not going to do anything. That's the principal's kuleana, let him handle it. So you get all of this input, um, but we haven't had a really systematic way of dealing with it. 
there are purposefully fewer layers of bureaucracy at charter schools. The goal is for these schools to have the freedom to experiment, to make changes faster, to have more local ownership over school operations. But that also means there are fewer layers of support, fewer places to turn to for backup, nobody to really say, here's how you step in when you don't like how the principal is managing staff. Overseeing the principal was not something they were thinking about when they opened the school. Here's what Steve had to say about it in January. We had a lot of other fires to put out, um, but we know that that is a big part of our responsibility. Uh, the principal works for the board. Specific answer to your question, how are we going to evaluate him? I don't know. We're not quite there yet, but, but we have begun that process of looking at ways to evaluate the principal. Six months later, they still hadn't figured it out. At Kamalani's board meeting on June 28th, they were discussing a method for principal evaluation. And this is what Kuipo told us in July. Every governing board for charter schools should have five main committees. And we did not have one of the committees, and that was a committee to, for principal evaluations. We have a new board member that we just added to our board, and that's his forte, his strength, his specialty. He's uh, like oversees seven principals right now. Teachers told us the governing board knew about informal complaints against the principal for months. Guipo told us they didn't know until teachers made a presentation at the board's June meeting. You can't address what you don't know about. And so if people are not willing to bring a problem to the governing board, then we don't know it exists. So that's where we were the whole year. The only thing I can say about Jeff is that he did the best that he knew how and the best that he could, you know, with given the new year and opening a brand new school. And, you know, he had a lot on his plate. And, you know, he worked hard. He really did. At traditional Department of Education-run public schools, principals have multiple bosses above them, assistant superintendents, people in charge of schools in their region of the state, the state superintendent, the state school board. At charter schools, the buck stops with the governing board. But charter school teachers are still part of the same union as other public school teachers, and there is a process in place that's supposed to help them handle problems. Wilbert Hulk, the executive director of the State Teachers Union, says every school in the state has a union representative. And any teacher at any time can file a formal grievance and receive support from a union staff member. And because principals are the lead decision makers at all schools, they often bear the brunt of teacher frustration. If it's at the school, in most cases, it will be against the principal, uh, either a decision they made or uh, some kind of an under- a misunderstanding about what's going on. But Wilbert says it's difficult to track personnel issues at school if teachers don't file a formal grievance or bring it to the attention of the governing board. And I think it's good to point out here that the Charter School Commission, the state agency that oversees charter school performance, doesn't track or get involved in teacher grievances. Wilbert says the entire process relies heavily on teachers who volunteer as union representatives to try and handle school-level problems. They're elected by the faculty, and HSTA does provide training sessions throughout the year for reps, 
But these sessions are only a few hours long, and they're not mandatory. So volunteers aren't always equipped to respond to all types of grievances, such as complaints about misconduct or workplace harassment. Those kinds of serious allegations, you, those are some things that you, know, you might not be able to handle or understand all the nuances of, of the contract, of the law, and that's where it's important that you give our staff a call and let our staff handle it from there. But it's not clear when union representatives are supposed to elevate the situation to a higher level or get their governing board involved. Even if a rep does mention a problem to a charter school governing board, Wilbert says there are some boards who will take action and some who don't. You know, you're dealing with individuals that may not necessarily understand contracts, understand the whole rights of due process, and so on and so forth. And I think that one of the things that they might want to look at is to make sure that whoever they have on these boards, that, you know, one, they know and understand the importance of, of education and that we need to look out for our, our children and that we also need to look out for our employees. And that, I think, is going to involve training. And Wilbert sees a difference when a governing board is well-prepared. I'd say that um, the, mo- many of the charter school boards that we've dealt with are good. You know, they, they have their hearts in the right place. And they make sure that they have people on that board who know and understand contracts and know and understand uh, what it takes to run a school. But, you know, we have run across a couple that have definitely could use some support and resources because they may not have been operating in the best interest of the school or the students or the employees. And charter schools are paying for this. The state commission has revoked the charter of a Big Island charter school. The founder of the Ka'u Learning Academy is also the target of a police investigation and a state ethics probe. In July, the State Charter School Commission revoked the charter of Ka'u Learning Academy on the Big Island. There were some huge issues happening at the school. The Charter School Commission found 22 violations by Ka'u. Violations like using school credit cards for personal expenses, possible academic testing fraud, not doing background checks, and enrolling at least 10 students older than approved grade levels. All things that should fall under the oversight of the governing board. Ka'u is a pretty new charter school. It's only been open for three years. But their founder and former principal said the board faced growing pains and a learning curve, that they struggled from the lack of support they got from the charter school commission. This lack of support is a problem Kamalani founders have talked about a lot. We had no roadmap, really, for opening a school. Um, And there's a big difference between walking into an organization which is, is and has been functioning for a while versus a startup. It's such a huge concern for charter schools across Hawaii that the Charter School Commission voted unanimously in June to consider creating a division for support within the system, something to help Kamalani and the remaining charter schools avoid Ka'u's fate.
Now that they're looking for a new school leader, Kamalani founders are revisiting issues from the first year with a more critical eye, looking for areas where their vision faltered, like the school's relationship with the Native Hawaiian community and people living in Wahiwa. Huipo says she felt the relationships were sidelined this year. For us, for our school, because we're, you know, Hawaiian, based on Hawaiian values and culture, it's really um, relationships that come first and the building of those relationships. And only when our relationships are strong, you know, then the learning comes after. Maybe if we did it the other way, who knows? I mean, it may have been better. And so that's what the refocus on this year, is the relationships first. But Kuipo acknowledges it might be too late to repair the relationships with some of the teachers who left. I don't discount anything that anyone, you know, has shared with you or experienced during the year. You know, for those who it was a really hard year, you know, um, our heart breaks for those people. Um, We support and, and we were so grateful for anybody who signed up, you know, for Kamalani and to be on our team and for those who it didn't work out, you know, we really never get to talk to them as a governing board. And so, you know, to those people, I have lots, so much aloha, you know, and so much respect for everybody who came and did their best in whatever the situation was. The search for a new principal won't begin in full until after the August governing board meeting. But Kuipo and Steve are confident going into year two that things will settle down, relationships will be rebuilt, and there will be more joy. There were some relationships lost, and so now we're able to grow those back and, you know, and go forward and develop new, you know, new bridges, I guess. There's been a lot of excitement and a lot of positive energy and a lot of, you know, joy as far as what this new year is going to bring. It's very refreshing. I think it's very reinvigorating. Quipo says despite the setbacks of their first year, they're fully enrolled for year two, with a longer wait list than last year. And their second project, Kamalani Las Vegas, is also having their charter approval hearing soon. So Kamalani will continue. It will grow. And with a big change in leadership, there'll be plenty of new terrain to navigate next year. But Quipo says the lesson she's learned throughout many years of project building still applies here at Kamalani, that success doesn't hinge on just one person. Anyone should be able to step in or out and the vision of Kamalani will prevail and will persevere, you know, if we've set it up right. The struggles with getting a new school up and running aren't unique to Kamalani. And once the school is set up, how does the governing board, how does the state, make sure it's successful moving forward? It's like something Steve Davidson said over and over again this year. There is no clear roadmap to follow when building a new school. Kamalani Academy is just one charter school of many. There are now nearly 7,000 charter schools in the U.S., three dozen here in Hawaii, and more slated to open in the coming year. And many of these schools have to grapple with the same challenges. Issues like governing board responsibilities, teacher retention, 
and getting help when things get tough. So maybe it's time to put a roadmap in place. Because more than 20 years after the first charter was approved in Hawaii, everyone is still trying to figure out how to make the system work for the kids, teachers, and the communities they serve. Communities like Wahiwa and Kamalani's first ever eighth grade graduating class. Kids who are about to take a huge step forward. As the school year came to a close, students and staff couldn't help but reflect on their experiences this year. And maybe it was best said by one of Kamalani's own students. This year has definitely been a ride. There are many times where we would fight and yell at each other, but there are also those times where we would laugh and smile. We have seen students come and go, but we remain solid and continue to come for each other. On Campus is a special project from Honolulu Civil Beat. It's produced by April Estrelon and Emily Dugdale. Our reporters this season were Emily Dugdale and Courtney T. Our executive producer is Patty Epler. This is our last episode of the series, but you can find more reporting and stories about education in Hawaii at civilbeat.org. Mahalo for listening.